rest of you take your Bible to Psalm 110. We're going to talk about who Jesus is this morning. And I know that you already are aware of who he is, but I want to talk to you about a little deeper, about uh, some things perhaps that you don't often think about Jesus. We know that he is God's son. We know that he's the lamb of God. We know that uh, he died for our sin. We don't think much about the future. I want to touch on that this morning. We don't think much about uh, some other things of, of who Jesus is. Don't stand up yet, but I, I want to talk to you about an introduction to this Psalm 110. You know, if you have the wrong concept about something, uh, that can be bad. If you have a misunderstanding about something, that, that could be bad. It could be bad physically in, in biblical terms. If you had the wrong concept of things, it could be bad spiritually for you. We want to have the right concept about things in our life, and certainly we want to have the right concept about Jesus. If we get things messed up about him, the consequences are eternal and they're terrible. If you miss Jesus in this life, there are dire consequences for you in eternity. So we want to make sure that we get everything right about him. Amen. Not just that he's a savior. The Bible says he is Lord and savior. So let's dig in to find out a little bit more of, of, about what that means. What you understand and what you believe about Jesus will end up affecting your Eternity, it will end up affecting your life today. It will change the way you live if you get him right. If you get him wrong, it will keep you the same as you are, and we know the outcome of that. We have to be rescued. We have to be saved. We have to be changed. The Pharisees in Jesus' day, they had a misconception about the Messiah. They misunderstood him. They misunderstood what he was to do. They misunderstood his titles. They asked him a question back in uh, Matthew 22, which we'll look at in just a minute. And Jesus asked them the question, I'm sorry, who do you say that I am? Did I leave my brain over there on the pew? I did, didn't I? <laughs> Let me grab this. Thank you, Gail. Matthew 22, the uh, Pharisees were gathered together trying to uh, hurt Jesus and trick him. So he turns around while they're together and he asks them this question. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? What do you think about him? His title, that's not his last name, remember. What do you think about the Messiah? What do you think about the Christ? That's what that would be entailing. And so they understood him to be the son of David, and, and they were correct. What they did not understand is that he was also the son of God. And the Pharisees couldn't wrap their mind around that. They had inadequate thinking about Jesus. A lot of people today have inadequate thinking about Jesus. There's a lot of denominations right here in Oklahoma, right here in, in uh, our neighborhood of Lindsay. There's a lot of misconception about who Jesus is, a lot of teaching uh, about Jesus being a good man, Jesus being a, a prophet, Jesus just simply being a person who existed long ago. 
There are denominations, believe it or not, that don't believe that he's the son of God. There's churches right here in our community that don't worship Jesus because they don't understand him. They have a misconception of who Jesus is. It's critical that you and I get Jesus right. It's critical that all men get Jesus right. And so that's what our our psalm today is going to teach us. What do you think about the Christ? What do you, how would you answer that question? What do you think about the Christ? Typically, we have things on our heart and mind today. We worry about who we're going to get married to. You know, who am I going to work for? What kind of a career am I going to pursue? What college am I going to go to? Uh, What am I going to make on this test? How am I going to accomplish my goals in life? We have those questions ever before us. A lot of times we don't think about, what do I think about the Christ? We have other things that get into the way. And so all of those really are secondary questions to that question. If you get this one right, then all those other questions will ride the wake behind you as you plow through life with that question answered correctly, then everything else falls into place. With that question answered incorrectly, then nothing else makes sense in our life. That's why our world is like it is. That's why our society is crumbling and tumbling morally downhill is because we haven't got that question right. What do we think about the Christ? You know, when Jesus was with those disciples, or Pharisees and he had them gathered together, he went on in this text to quote Psalm 110. Not the entire psalm, but he quoted the first verse in that psalm. Do you know that Psalm 110 is seven verses, but it is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament? We find Psalm 110 more in the New Testament than any other Old Testament passage, Old Testament verses. Matthew 22 asks us that question, what do we think of the Christ? To get that correct would change your life. It will change your worldview. It will change your workplace. It will change your associations. It will change your friendships. It will change the way you feel about things. It will affect your family. It will affect your career. It will affect your life. And guess what? To get that question right is still prevalent today. To get that right in your life is still valuable for you today. What do you think of Jesus? Well, let's read on and see what Psalm 110 has to say about the Lord Jesus Christ. So stand with me, if you would, and let's read Psalm 110, beginning in verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. The Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, thy youth are to thee as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 5, the Lord is at thy right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. 
Let's pray together. Lord, bless us today with an understanding of who you are. Let us leave this building today with a correct concept of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he will accomplish and what he wants to do in us. And we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Who is Jesus? Well, Psalm 110 gives us three topics to discuss this morning. Three-point sermon, right? So let's get on with it. The very first point is this in verses 1 through 3. Jesus is the king of the earth. Let's read that again. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. The Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Mount Zion, or from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, thy youth are to thee as the dew. Jesus is here seen as the king, right? Now, in our text in Matthew, uh, Jesus asked the Pharisees the question, whose son is he? And the Pharisees answered correctly, he's the son of David. And then Jesus quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. Look at it again. Jesus said this in Matthew. He says, the Lord says to my Lord. Perhaps your Bible has those two lords spelled differently. One of them is all capitalized, meaning Yahweh, God, the Father. The Yahweh says to my Adonai. That word, Lord, is spelled capital L, little case, O-R-D. Two different meanings. Same word, two different meanings. Yahweh the Father says to Adonai, Jesus Christ. Right? Sit at my right hand. Where's Jesus today? He's seated at the right hand of God. Amen? He ascended and he is seated at the right hand of God. So Jesus is explaining to the Pharisees so they'll get the concept correct. And he says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Whose son is he? The Pharisee said he's the son of David. Then Jesus says, then how can David say this? My Lord says to my Lord. How can David be his son and yet call him the Lord? Was the question Jesus threw. And you know what the Pharisees did? Uh, I don't know. I don't know how that could be. I don't know how David, being the father in the lineage of Jesus, Jesus being in the lineage of David, his son, how he could call Jesus the Lord. I don't know how he could do that. And so the Pharisees shut up. They didn't have an answer. They couldn't explain it. Instead of correcting their concept, instead of correcting their belief about the Messiah, they held to what they wanted. They didn't want to admit that Jesus could be the Messiah. They didn't want to admit that. They didn't understand the reality of Jesus being Man, son of David, God, son of God. They couldn't put that together. Jesus is unique. The Messiah is unique. And so therefore, they missed the Messiah, 
They couldn't understand that. So Jesus says that he is David's Lord in, in, in the text. He is therefore God. This was uh, the Pharisees' problem, and it is the problem of many churches today in our country and across the world. Jesus is a man, and he's only a man. And they have a misconception of the Messiah. They have a misconception of God. Unfortunately, they are making a fatal error. Fatal death awaits people who only have Jesus as a man. And they don't put him as the Son of God as well. Verse 2, how do I know that Jesus is the King? Verse 2 tells me, the Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion. Okay? He, a scepter is uh, the significant or signal or an idea of authority. And Jesus has the scepter and he will stretch that forth from Zion. We understand that in the book of Revelations. When he comes back, he's going to plant his feet on the mount of Zion and he's going to rule with a rod of iron. Amen. And he's going to wipe out the nations, the evil, and he will have that victory. He is the king. He's the king now. He is the king then, and he is even the king now. Now, you cannot escape that. If Jesus is the king of the earth, you need to think about it. You can't escape that. That he is king over creation. That means you. That means everyone. Those who don't believe in him, He's king over them. Those who do believe over him, he's king over them. Every man has to deal with that concept that comes from the Bible that Jesus is the king. The Bible says, and Paul writes to us, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Right? So men who go to their death without Christ at judgment, will confess He is the King. Right before you're cast into hell, you will confess. You will bend your knee to the King. So today in churches and preachers preach, bend your knee now and not later. But you will bend your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the king. This is what David tells us here in this psalm. You can't escape that. You have to deal with it. By his grace, he's dealing with us today. His kingdom will come and it will not be overturned and it will not be overthrown. Since he is the king, it would behoove you to turn to him now. Until, uh, rather than... At your death. Turn to Jesus today. Point number one, he is the king. Point number two, Jesus is the priest. He is the eternal priest. Look in verse four. It says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, let me say this. When God says something, it's important. Amen? Wouldn't you agree? Look in verse 4, the Lord, all capitalized, God the Father, Yahweh, says and has sworn. When God says something, it's important. When God swears something, it's double important. All right? He's not cursing here. He's just making a promise. 
making a swear, making a vow, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind that Jesus is the priest. He is the high priest. We read about that in Hebrews, about how that comes about. He is our high priest. The picture I picked for this uh, subject is the veil being torn from the top to the bottom. What does a priest do for us? A priest is someone who mediates between us and God. In the Old Testament, the people couldn't come to God freely. They had to go to the priest that God had chosen. God chose Aaron and his sons of the tribe of Levi to be the priest, where the people would come to the priest, and the priest would make the sacrifices, and the priest would go to God for the people. He was the mediator. Okay, so we read that about Jesus as well. Jesus stands in the gap for you and I between us and God. Now, we can approach God today, but we do that through Jesus Christ. Amen? We do that through the blood. His life sacrifice opened that veil that you see on that picture. The Bible says it was torn in two from top to bottom. Right? And so God opened the veil and made it possible for you and I to come to Him through Jesus Christ. He is your priest. Now, this priest is forever. Now, there's a problem for the Jews with this. And the problem is this, that the king cannot be the priest. So the Jews say, how can Jesus be the king and be the priest at the same time? David explains that to us. Do you remember the first king of Israel? Who was that? Come on, church. Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. And so Saul's waiting on the priest, Samuel, to come and offer sacrifices before they go into battle. And Samuel is not there. And so Saul takes it upon himself because he's impatient and he needs an answer right now from God. He says, I'll offer the offerings. I'll offer the sacrifice. And so Saul does that. As soon as the smoke starts to go up from the sacrifice, here comes Samuel over the hill. He says, what have you done? The king is not the priest. And God takes the kingdom from Saul because of that one act. He put himself in the position of the priest. The king cannot be the priest. And he was, the kingdom's removed from Saul and it's handed to David, right? So how is it now that Jesus, Jew, being king, how can he be priest? David explains it to us there in verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The order of Aaron was the priesthood in Hebrew, Jews, the order of Melchizedek, where did that come from? The first time we read about Melchizedek is in Genesis. And Abraham goes out and wins victory and comes back with his nephew Lot. And guess what? The priest, the high priest of God from Salem comes out to meet Abraham. His name is Melchizedek. We don't know where he came from. There's no lineage of his mother and his father. We don't know where he went. After he died. We don't even know if he died. We don't know when. All we know is that he came out to meet Abraham. And he was the high priest of God from Salem, Jerusalem. Okay? And he came out and guess what Abraham did? He worshipped God with the high priest. 
and he offered Melchizedek the tithe. So Melchizedek gave that to him and had, had wine and bread with Abraham, a pre-picture of the Lord's Supper. Amen. And so then we don't read about Melchizedek anymore until we come to the book of Hebrews and we talk about Jesus being our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And then we read about him again right here in Psalm. So Jesus is king of the earth, but he's also priest because he's not in the lineage of Aaron. He can be king and priest in the lineage of God, Melchizedek. So David explains that to us, and now we can understand that Jesus is king, and Jesus is also the high priest. The priest is the mediator, the go-between. So in other words, you can't go to God unless you go through Jesus. You can't come into the presence of God unless you go to Jesus. He opened the door for God. He provided the way for you to come to God. You think you can go to God around Jesus, all these other religions? That don't acknowledge Jesus as king, Jesus as priest, Jesus as savior. They can't come to God. They'll dispute that. They'll argue with that. But their God is not the God. Amen? Their God is not the Yahweh God. Their God is little g God in our estimation, in biblical understanding. Oh, they've got a God, all right, but it's not the God. Some people say, well, isn't the God of the Muslims the same God as we worship? No, He is not. God Yahweh is not God Allah. You need to get that straight. You don't come to God by going through the Muslim religion and finding God Allah at the end of your life. Unfortunately, you're going to find the wrong God And it's the God you don't want. Allah and Jehovah are not the same God. Amen. Only through Jesus can you come to God. That's what a priest does. Make sure you get that concept right in your life. If you miss that, if anyone misses that, they will not come to the true God, Yahweh. Unfortunately, that's how it is. He is the priest forever. He is eternal. He is king and he is priest. Now, one more thing that he is in Psalm 110 is he's the judge. Look in verse 5. The Lord is at thy right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. Wow, God's coming, and He is in pursuit, and His judgment will be thorough, and it will be final. We read all about that in the book of Revelation. When the tribulation period begins, and Jesus stands on the earth at the end of that tribulation, and He brings out God's judgment on sin, on the world. And man will be here to see and receive the wrath of God. Not you, if you're the church. If you've got the concept of Jesus correctly, He's rescued you from that wrath. Amen? And He will do that if you've got it right. If you've got Him right and in a proper place with Him, you will have it right. Today, with God's grace, we're living in that period. God's patience, in other words. Why doesn't God just go ahead and judge the world? 
Why doesn't he just go ahead and bring his wrath down on us right now and get this all over with? I'll tell you why. Because there's people in your family and mine that he wants to save, but they're not yet there. He's waiting on them. He is patiently waiting for them to come into relationship with Him. Oh yeah, He could make them, but that's not the God we serve. That's not the God that saved you. He didn't make you get saved. Right? He offered it to you. Grace, graciously, He offered salvation to you. And you, somewhere along the way of your life, you woke up and you realized it and you came and accepted that gift of salvation. And He saved you. And now you are His. Well, listen, there's a lot of people outside these walls that He wants to do the same thing for. So He's waiting to bring His judgment. He's waiting for us to be praying and to be witnessing and to be sharing with those people. Now, it says that those who oppose Him will be crushed. Jesus is the King He is the priest, and he is the judge. Let me show you what Jonathan Edwards said. The ideas and images in men's minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. How you think determines how you live. How you feel about things determines what you do. What's important to you will be at the top of your do list. How you think, how you feel, how you judge, how you react, these all have to fall into place behind the concept that Jesus is king, priest, and judge. Now let me say this. Since He is the king, you would do well to submit to His lordship. Amen? If He's the king and you understand that, you would do well. To bend your knee to Him now. Don't wait. You don't know when your death will come. Don't wait for that moment. Submission is not an option for just those who are committed to Him. Right? It's not just for the preachers and the teachers and the music leaders and the youth pastors to submit to the will of God. It's for every believer. And if you are not growing in submission to God... There's danger for you ahead. It's a daily life of submission. It's a daily walk to submit to the Lord. Someone calling Jesus Christ the Lord, yet they're not growing in obedience to Him, they will have a surprise on Judgment Day. You will hear these words. Instead of, well done, good and faithful servant, you will hear, depart from me. Because I never knew you. You see, it's not just believing that God is. It's believing God. It's believing what He says. It's believing what He's done. And as you surrender and submit your life to the King, you learn through obedience to walk with Him. And if you're not doing that, if you went through some religious experience in your past, but your life is not a life of obedience to God, when you die, you're going to hear that. Depart from me. And these people will say, but Lord, we cast out demons in your name. And Lord, we fed the hungry in your name. And Lord, I gave money in the plate in your name. And I sang praise songs at church in your name. 
And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. How do you know that you've got the concept of Jesus correct? As the king, you are submission to him. You're in submission to him today, right now. And through that submission, you obediently follow him day by day by day. That's how you know. That's what it means to have Jesus as the king. Now, the second thing, if Jesus is the priest and we believe him to be, then you should lay a hold of his offer of reconciliation. He's the one who stands in the gap for you, between you and God. Jesus is there. Got his hand out both ways. I wonder if that had any significance on the cross. Between you and between God, here's Jesus, right? And what he accomplished on that cross opened the door, tore the veil of the temple, opened the door of the Holy of Holies so you and I could come into the presence of God. Through Jesus Christ. Can't go around Him. Can't go under Him or over Him. You have to go through Him in order to come to God. He is our access into the Father's presence. Look what Paul said about this in Romans chapter 8. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God's children. Who will bring a charge against God's children? He says, God is the one who justifies Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Now let me back up. Who will bring a charge against you, Christian? Nobody. It's God who justifies us. Oh, people might talk about us. People might pick out a sin that we've committed and and try to bring a charge against us. But the verse there says God's the one who justifies you. Nobody can bring a charge against you because God justified you. Then it goes on to say, well, who can condemn us? And then it says, Jesus Christ. Well, yes, Jesus could condemn us. But instead of condemning us, he died for us. Instead of saying, man, look what you've done. I'm not going to forgive you. The Bible says, God so loved the world. That he gave his son. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So who condemns God's people? Nobody. Who can, I mean, who, uh, who can judge God's people? Nobody. Who could condemn us? Jesus Christ could. But yet, rather, he died for us. You see that? Look what it says now in that text in Romans. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Have you ever thought about that? The man who got on the cross for you is praying for you right now. Wow. The man who gave his life so you could have life is praying for you right now. He is my king and he is my priest. Amen? He's the one between and he's praying for me. Man, I'm not worthy so many times for the Lord himself to pray for me. But that doesn't stop him. He doesn't condemn me. 
Yes, rather, He died for me. And He stands in the gap for us today. Man, how great of a God do we have. He's king. He's priest. Let's go on in the last thing. Since He is the judge, we should avoid His judgment fearfully. Amen? Living in today's society, in the age of grace, it's easy for us not to come to God. We say things like this, Oh, I've got time. I'll go to church one day, but I want to live my life. I want to have some fun. I've got, I got a couple of kids that live like that. Right? How do you convince somebody that you could die instantly in a car wreck and you wouldn't have time to repent and you would bust hell wide open? Amen? If Jesus is the judge, you need to fear that judgment fearfully. You need to get avoid it. You need to get rid of it. People say, oh, I've got time. Judgment's not now, so what's the hurry? Amen? God, after all, is love, and God wouldn't send anybody to hell because He loves all of us. These are all fatal concepts. Amen? This is a misconcept of life. This is a misrepresentation of uh, what God has said. Don't believe that lie. Scripture shows us, on the other hand, that when judgment comes, it comes swiftly and thoroughly. Jesus said, I will come like a thief in the night. He's not going to steal something from you. He's going to surprise you. You're not going to be ready. You're not going to be looking and He's going to be there. And He's going to show up. And the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, It is appointed for men to die once and then the judgment. You don't get another chance. You don't get to reset You don't get to say, I'm sorry, and go back and start over. It is appointed for men to die once, and then the judgment. There is no opportunity beyond that. When judgment comes, it comes swiftly. I know you all heard about the guy up in the city that robbed the First National Bank. He goes in and he he tells the teller, give me all the money. She puts it in a bag and he heads out the door. On the way to his car, it starts hissing and spewing tear gas. And so he stands back and then there's an explosion. Boom! And a dye comes out and covers everything. He throws the bag down, runs to his car, and the next day the police catch him red-handed. Okay? When judgment comes, it comes quickly, swiftly, and thoroughly. You need to avoid that. Jesus opened the way for that to happen. He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will, you will find rest for your soul. Amen. So that's what we can do today. Why do I need to come to Jesus? Because he's king. Why do I need to come to Him? Because He's my priest. Why do I need to come to Him? Because He'll be the judge. And we need to avoid that, certainly. Back in Matthew 22, I'll show you the rest of it. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? And here's what they said. Whose son is He? And they said to Him, The son of David. Then Jesus said to them, then, whoops, back up. 
There you go. Then Jesus said to them, Then how does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord. Yahweh said to Adonai. God the Father said to Jesus, Sit at my right hand. David said, He's my Lord. That's the question today for you. What do you think about the Christ? And is He your Lord? Are you surrendered in submission to the Lord, the King of the earth? Are you being drawn near to God through Jesus Christ? Are you avoiding the judgment that is to come? Are you on Jesus' side? He's the king of the universe. He's priest forever. He is the righteous judge. Is he your king today? Let's pray. Father, bless this moment for people in this room. Father, your word is loud and clear. There is no way to go around it. There's no way to avoid it. You've spoken clearly to us today. You are king. You are priest. And you are judge. And Lord, you have opened the door for men to come to God. And I pray today that someone might do that that you would bust their heart and the chains around it and the barriers that they built and that you would break through, Father, and receive another child today into your kingdom. I pray that people in your kingdom, children there now, would uh, repent and turn from our ways and turn to you, again bending our knee to you, again serving you, again loving you, and again understanding you. Father, bless this moment in Jesus' name. Amen.